gave him his orders at Monroe, Virginia. Said Steve, you're way behind time. This is not 38, this is old 97. Put her in the dispenser on time. Good evening, everyone. Uh, this is Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host for the evening. Once again, returning Troy Goodfellow, uh, founder, co-founder of the show. Um, the this is episode two hundred and twenty. As uh, things wow. I know, isn't that amazing? Uh, and this is my first time on the show in like well over a month, maybe even longer. It feels like a very, very long time. So I'm glad to be back and bringing with me uh, another founding panelist, uh, my very dear friend, uh, Dr. Bruce Garrick. Hello, Troy. Glad you could be here. It's just, be here. It's just the two of us, uh, which is kind of nice. I've had a lot more of these two-person shows. A uh, chance for us to focus on digging in deep on a specific topic. And for some reason, I'm not quite sure how we ended up with this, but this is... No, I can tell you how we started off with this, but... Here. Uh... <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about railroad uh, games. Railroad games are a durable and returning theme, recurring theme, in uh, the strategy game landscape. They've been around really since the very beginning of board games games, the mass board game audience, and of course, computer game industry. Um, and I think it'd be a nice counterpoint to a show that Rob had uh, about a month ago on another, we'll talk more about the, another genre, which has recurring themes throughout uh, that he had problems with in the Space 4X world. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the variety and limitations of building games about railroads. Uh, so Bruce, we ended up here either through a misunderstanding or miscommunication or something. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think I think we ended up here. We were originally planning on doing a show, a classic game analysis on uh, 1830, which is one of my favorite right. uh, railroad games ever, both in its board game version and its computer game version. It was it was a, a computer game in the uh, early 90s, uh, which ran on DOS and uh, was notable for a being designed by uh, Steve Barsha, uh, designer of also of uh, Master of Orion. And uh, having a brutally good AI, which is something you don't obviously see in a lot of games. You know, I, obviously we would have liked to get Steve Barsha on the show, but that was not uh, possible. Then I kind of searched around to try to find someone else who might be able to talk about 1830. And I realized that there's really, it's it's kind of a, just talking about 1830 itself. I mean, we would obviously want to talk about all of the other railroad games that are out there. And then I just started thinking about the idea of a railroad show. And, you know, there's so many uh, games that have railroads as a theme, and uh, they all kind of seem. There, a lot of them have share mechanics uh, and share approaches, uh, but there are some significant differences. And I thought that we could just talk about the whole genre. So that's that's how we got to be where we are today. And hopefully, the people who are listening to this uh, have some interest in railroad themed games because that's all we got today. Uh, railroad, the idea of railroads in general is kind of interesting. That there so, there's that people made so many games about them and have because the railroads, you know, in the U.S. are not once what they once were. But you have railroad games that stretch from, you know, the beginning of the age of steam and you create passenger and freight lines all the way up into the 21st century when you know trains just carry a whole lot of freight, not much else. Uh, as if the interstates never happened. As if air flight didn't become cheaper. Uh, there's this entire myth of the rails, which continues throughout these games. Um, but people still like trains. People like model trains. Kids still point at trains when they go rumbling by. So there's, let's get a bit psychological here. Uh, what is it about trains, you think, that make them first a good uh, topic for games? Because clearly 
people find them fertile ground for a number of reasons. Uh, and also, interested in the human mindset, uh, what draws them. Yeah, I, I actually can't tell you what uh, makes them interesting uh, in general. Uh, I'm sure that many people find many different things about them interesting. But, I mean, they're, they're clearly, I think, that, I think the railroad game sort of stems from the fascination with railroads in general and model railroading. I mean, if, you, if you've ever been to a, uh, to a gaming convention, and uh, many of them have the, you know, the train room, and you'll notice people in that train room are often wearing conductor's overalls and little conductor's hats. <laughs> And so I don't really understand that, but I, I mean, that's never, fine. I've never seen this. I guess... Oh, you're lying. I've you're never lying gone to, to the train room. I guess I didn't know oh, the train my room, but... I mean, next time, you're at, next time you're at Origins or next time you're at Gen Con, uh, go and find the room where people are playing a lot of train games, and there will be people with, you know, conductor's outfits on. And they're playing... I mean, that's, the, that's kind of their thing, right? I mean, I, and, and, and obviously, you know, model railroading... Uh, is a or you know was a big hobby. Uh, I think that uh, sort of the virtual uh, railroading has probably taken a bite out of it. Um, but uh, I think the the sort of the idea of managing a railroad kind of is is you're setting up your own little um, you know electronic model train set, right? I think that there are certain games that uh, that do that sort of really better than others, and that's that's the game's design approach. I would think the Railroad Tycoon series is kind of that in a that's kind of the the goal of that game is to make you feel like uh, you're really building a model railroad. And of course, I guess Sid Meier's railroads, uh, you know, not that, I mean, I mean, Sid Meier did uh, Railroad Tycoon, but uh, the Sid Meier's railroads um, subsequent game, I think was kind of like a railroad sandbox that uh, I think really was kind of a, uh, a, a model train set in computer form, but uh, yeah, it, it really pushed the model train aspect a lot more right. than the other tycoon games have. Right. And also, you know, the thing with you know trains as a game is because you do start so far back, you're pretty much following you know, American history and the rise of you know the rise of, of robber baron capitalism, where you start from nothing and you control an entire economy, right. something that you really couldn't, really can't do now and couldn't do in a lot of industries. Mm-hmm. But at that time, you know, you could start with a train, start with a railway, and also build all these other industries around right. it. Uh, so you have so it works in with that's where theme mechanics, right? And it's building as we're going yeah. to do plugins so perfectly. You're building an economy. Yeah, you're right. You're you're really building an an entire economy around this uh, sort of skeleton of the railroads, and I think it also um, sort of it 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 uh, lends itself to the same kind of imaginative uh, development that games in general do which is that you have you know large areas of of land that need to uh be conquered so to speak by uh, you know the, right. the creation of these uh you know these long lines of you know across the desert or through the mountains or whatever and a lot of resources required to do that so um but interestingly enough you know i think that just like um just like game development sort of has evolved quite a bit since uh since the early days i mean railroad games have, have uh evolved quite a bit since the early days um because i think my first exposure to uh to railroad games was in the 1970s with a an avalon hill game called rail baron uh which was okay you know, when you look at it as a game now, it was, as I recall, it was very simplistic. I mean, it's almost like, you know, Candyland with trains. You roll your dice to see how, uh, you know, how many spaces you move when you have to go to certain cities and you make money for getting there. And, uh, you know, really 
Um, you know, I think at the time it, it seemed really interesting because the comparison games were Monopoly and, and Sorry, but uh, um, games have really developed along, I think, different railroad games have developed along different lines. There's a there's another game called uh, Transamerica, uh, which uh, I had played on Brett Spielvelt uh, a, a number of times, which is basically just, you know, connecting cities. I mean, there's there's almost there's very little railroad about it, but you know those those kinds of, of game models where the, where the strategy is is uh, very simple. There's a lot of luck to it, and it doesn't really develop the 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 railroad theme. Where you know subsequent games really really kind of built that up into a, into a different and some some very detailed models of of railroad economics, and some are just you know more strategy games. But we should kind of talk about what makes those games different and sort of the lineage of all those things. Because they really break down into, you know, three or four different categories, right? You have the games that are just about laying track, that are just about getting from one place to the next, getting the cargo from one place to the next, and ones that are about building an an ecosystem, uh, a a path uh, where everything fits in, uh, connected-wise. So I guess, I mean, I didn't play the Real Baron game. That was, you know, before my time. Um, And Transamerica, I think I've I've seen it and I've read about it, but I've never actually played it. I mean, Railroad Tycoon was, I think, my first exposure to, you know, serious railroad gaming. Um, I think it was for most people. Um, I guess, and I've I've, I've written about Railroad Tycoon. I wrote about it in my map series. Um, What I thought was really special about it, and I think what once again captures with the power of the rail, the power of transportation, and power of economics, is that it's one of the first games that I remember playing where you would transform the map by your actions, where the railroad you were building wasn't just about building land, but you could make Pittsburgh a backwater and turn, you know, some other Pennsylvania town into the, by where you sent the, the trains, uh, by the industries you invested in. And this was, isn't something you see yet a lot of places, but um, it really stood out, I think, in Railroad Tycoon. Yeah, so I think that uh, uh, Railroad Railroad Tycoon really did try to make, uh, I mean, that was really about building uh, a model railroad before. I think R- Railroad Tycoon 2, um, sort of, by by that time, I think the, the power of the, the sort of, the graphical power that was available was sufficient that you could make. I remember when, when I um, when I first started playing Railroad Tycoon 2, I was very impressed by how, um, so how, to, how realistic in life, like the, the whole, um, the terrain and the trains and everything. I mean, you really, you were playing a, with a model train set, but... Um, and it was, but that, that thing that you're talking about now is, a, is a, is it the idea of, uh, of train games as the ultimate management games, uh, the sort of, you know, you're the, the guy standing on the, the, the dock or the loading dock or whatever. And you're saying, you know, these, you have to send, you know, 12, you know, 12 bushels of wheat and six hogs and something or other to this land. And, and, uh, everything really was sort of, a a big spreadsheet with demand, supply and demand on it, uh, and uh, you know having enough enough rail capacity and having enough track and having the switching system, and uh, in addition to all those other things, I mean that it's sort of it's sort of uh, it's it's a sim it's it's really the sim approach to uh, to rail games. 
and it was a very predatory economic model. I mean, that was which you didn't get a lot of in, Sim, in Railroad Tycoon too. You know, you could something an important strategy was trying to break your opponent's right. economic back by you know flooding them with cheap merchandise and buying mm-hmm. them out and having price yep. wars and taking a big hit on your own short-term economic gain to drive somebody right. out. Um, it was handled very well, uh, very simply. It certainly wasn't as complex as you know. Even Victoria, certainly as Victoria, as far as economic sims mm-hmm. have gone, but it it had that nail biting feel of will this railroad survive? Will this station survive? Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, captures the dynamism of you know late nineteenth century uh, economics, and it was sometimes these systems were very the choice of the train you were using was actually quite important. So I never got a good grip on as the importance of en- the type of engine because mm-hmm. because your instinct is you have to, you want to upgrade all of them but no actually that's not always a good choice apparently right well there were i mean you had to there were there were um runs that you could do that were fast that would get you a lot of, of money the um uh i think that i can't remember i i, I may be confusing this now with with uh with the sid the sid Meier's railroads but i think that there were different Trains that had different power that could go up and down grades. Yeah. Uh, your um, you you had uh, to make a decision whether you uh, you could effectively. I mean, there were runs that were lucrative, but the, it took so long to get them done that they really didn't make any sense. Um, whereas you could sort of strategically upgrade certain trains to go quickly to to uh, carry uh, cargo uh, along certain routes repeatedly and, and make a lot of money quickly. Um, so that, I mean, I, that, as I recall, those were the main considerations in upgrading your trains. When he heard a whistle blowing in a dreamy kind of way, the hobo seemed contented, for he smiled there where he lay. Hobo, Bill. I think that the whole idea of, you, you had mentioned earlier about how uh, you know, we had talked about uh, what well, we hadn't because I wasn't on the show, but uh, we had a show about um, space games and how the space game really sort of took its uh, took its cue from uh, Master of Orion and sort of has been sitting on that model for the last 20 years. Um, do you think that railroad games have done the same thing? And if so, from which model? And if not, how? Um, it's a good question. I've thought about it. As I listened to the show, uh, it was a good show with uh, Rob and Paul. They had a very good uh, blistering discussion of 4X games, 4X space games, and how they all are pretty much the same civilization type game with spaceship customization slapped on uh, generally for no other reason than there's always been spaceship customization slapped on. And as I look at, so that, when was, we were looking at all these railroad games, and I tr- tried to reinstall a bunch of them and get them to work. It struck me that this is pretty much a common theme and you have to ask yourself does this go back to well that's the nature of the subject you know we have historical railroads and this is what railroads do this is what a train is a train is a line of things that carries a bunch of other mm-hmm. things uh, so you're kind of limited by the choice and the theme limits in what you can do um, but the 
and you know you have to have but the railroad tycoon model does introduce you know the competition with other businesses and trying to drive them out of business mm-hmm. and achieving you know mini missions and mini goals uh, little things to upset your opponents but I'm not quite sure that's and I think it's an interesting question I wonder if there has been much if there was a lot of there's been a lot of innovation uh, in the railroad uh, game model but then I looked at something like Rails Across America and it uh, takes well, which we'll talk about in more detail I'm sure in a bit I think it does some interesting things uh, by making by just changing victory conditions yeah. by not making it about by not making it about money mm-hmm. uh, object not obviously about money. Make it about something they call prestige and accomplishments, sort of uh, uh, achievements, achievements for the early 20, 21st century, right. and an achievement-based system, which I thought was, which was, it might sound like it's a small thing, but it actually does change how you play the game. It does change how you approach the use of money. Mm-hmm. So it does change how you approach the use of trains and your system and your short-term goals and your planning. So there have been a few exceptions here and there, but by and large, I think the train model has been, it does break down into the the two things with trains are about. Can you get me my stuff from A to B about laying the track? And how much money can you make going from A to B? Uh, so you can build the next track. Um, I'm not sure how this works in a lot of board games and the train building board games, which are generally, I would think, more about the track laying than the business side because economic models uh, in a board game will necessarily be more simplified. Um, but I'm sure you've played board games that have trains that are not all terribly simple well i think that you know it's it's interesting that you you make that the you know that kind of distinction um uh between the the economic side and the and the or the you know the the, the rail laying side um i think that the, the sort of the model for railroad games from a board game standpoint i think kind of i think i could point to two different sort of uh ways that games have developed there's a there's the uh, stock market model and the demand load rail laying model, and I think that the, the two of them, um, which and interestingly, uh, railroad tycoon kind of combines both of those. But um, you know, there, there, a long time ago, um, Francis Tresham, who uh, designed um, Civilization also uh, designed a game called 1829, uh, which was a, uh, a game about the development of railroads in uh, in England during the Industrial Revolution. And it focused very much on the idea that you were investing in, you were, rail, you were laying track, developing routes, but you were very much the investor in, uh, in a number of railroads, and you weren't it wasn't so much your railroad that you were running. Mm-hmm. You were running the railroad that you happen to have the uh, – you happen to be the CEO of. And to be the CEO of something, you would have to have a majority stock position in that company. So the game was less about placing your your track uh, than running a company to, to your benefit and then dumping it on your competitors when – Things started, you know, going south, right? Because in order to part of the the uh, the um, goal of the or the part of the, the game mechanic was that it was difficult to you had to invest an awful lot of money to float a company by yourself. You had to often multiple people had to 
to invest money to get a to get a railroad floated, as they say. And then once it got floated, any money that that railroad would make would be paid out to the investors. So you sort of had to look and see, and you didn't necessarily want to run your railroad too well because you're, if you had a competitor who was well-invested in a bunch of, of uh, pr- profitable railroads, then that person was going to make more money than you were. Uh, and so what you might want to try to do is you want to try to run the railroad into the ground and then dump it on them. Right. So <clears throat> you didn't have that, uh, that, that connection to a railroad. Um, on the other hand, um, there was a, uh, a different game which um, called, was called Empire Builder and uh, was uh, made by Mayfair Games in the 80s. Uh, and that game was uh, very much a classic, you know, I'm running a railroad, I'm laying my track, and I'm delivering loads based on demand. It was a much simpler game than the eight, they now call it the, the, the Francis Tresham's uh, game well, spawned the 18XX series. So that's uh, that's how it's referred to, 1830, which was designed, the, the computer version, which was designed by Steve Barsha, um, was basically the American version of 1829. Um, but, uh, but that game, uh, like I said, focused very much on the stock market. Empire Builder was, um, a very simple game, really. You had a map and the map had a bunch of points on it and you took a crayon and you drew your track on the map. It was you know, one of those wipe away, you know, plastic coated maps. And, you know, you could have up to six players and they could have, uh, you know, or five players. I can't remember. You can uh, you could draw with different colored. Everybody had a different color. You draw on the crayon on the on the board, and then you move your your token, which was your train. You only had one train, and you would try to satisfy a uh, a number of uh, demand cards that you had in your hand. And um, you know it was very you know historically accurate. Uh, you you know Pittsburgh made steel, and you know. Um, Vancouver made fish, and then you know you might need to send uh, fish to Omaha, so you'd have to you know go to Vancouver and pick up the fish, and then move them to uh, to uh, Omaha, or you know th- then you'd pick up corn in Omaha and might take the corn to Boston or to Raleigh, where you'd pick up tobacco, that kind of thing. And uh, those decisions were based on a deck. You know, you had a deck full of contracts and you kind of once you learned the game you learned which contracts were big and which contracts were small and you know that you know san francisco had sugar and a a run from a sugar card to new york that was a lot of money so you know you might go and pick up some uh some sugar in san francisco and then just kind of hold on to it hoping that you'd pick up a a contract card while you were on the east coast and then you would just be able to turn it in you know there's it was a simple game but as a board game, it worked very well. Uh, you had a limited number of things to keep track of, and it was very, um, it was very uh, um, straightforward, uh, but pretty tense. And of you know, four or five player game of of uh, Empire Builder, you're kind of all trying to you know certain cities. The smaller the city, the fewer tracks you could build into it. So uh, you might need to ride somebody else's rail into a city, and then of course you have to pay them money and. Um, and uh, but the big the big uh, advantage that that game had is that it basically in order to to change the game you just needed a new map um, and um, 
you could, you know, a new map, new set of demand cards, and you were ready to go. So, you know, Empire Builder, uh, then British Rails came out because that was, you know, the 1829 kind of um, correlate. And then Nippon Rails, India Rails, Russian Rails, there's a Lunar Rails. Um, you know, it gets more and more fanciful. But, uh, but it's a very, um, uh, I think it's a very simple, interesting strategy game that works great in multiplayer and um it hasn't been developed in the digital i hate to say the word digital space because that should be eliminated from people's vocabulary but i'm going to say it this time uh and say that that hasn't been developed as well as it should have in the digital space um have you ever played any of those games troy i haven't this is the first i've heard of them is when you've been mentioning them um they're that's i I mean i like the distinction you're drawing between the like the stock market model and i guess the the efficiency demand model um in the games Uh, because we often think of you know uh, train games as you know cargo delivery systems and that's kind of uh, what they've emphasized um and i wasn't i didn't know there was even a uh, the, the distinction between owning a company and not owning a company—that's something again you get in Railroad Tycoon, where you can you know have, take over part of somebody's company. Mm-hmm. You can buy stock in it. You might want it to do well, or you might want to drive it under, depending right. on where it's competing. Right. Um, but I haven't tried the the, 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 the crayon drawing games, and it's right. I mean, the fact that all you need is a new map—it's right. just like it's just like modding. You know, you just trace on map and decide what your resources are going to be, and that has this is no computer analog for that at all. Well, there is actually. Actually, um, in in I think it was in 2000, uh, and I only know that because I, I looked up an old review I did uh, back then for Games Domain. And if you actually if you go to Home of the Underdogs and look for a game called Rail Empires Iron Dragon, uh, that there may or may not be a link to at the bottom of the podcast. Uh, the uh, <laughs> the game the game page on Home of the Underdogs actually quotes my review extensively, which is how I know that it was in 2000. Um, because I looked at the link that it goes to that's now broken. Um, but Iron Dragon was a very interesting development of this um, of this rail crayon drawing rail game, which took the took the game to this you know fantasy made up fantasy world uh, and turned the trains into dragons. And they were, you know, they were they're sort of dragons that uh, that had these, you know, these steel uh, exoskeletons because they were harnessed to basically the dragons were were running. They were the engines. They were running the trains. This sounds ridiculous. It, it, you know, it, it does sound. But and I and I when I first heard about it, I hated it. But I, I quickly changed my mind. So, um, so the the game is very interesting because uh, the way it was designed, I thought, was brilliant. So it uh, it. it it invented a, a new sort of fantasy world, uh, so of course now you're not bound by the by the constraints of real world. Um, you know, I mean, I guess you could have a, a, a Empire Builder game where Pittsburgh um, makes fish and where Detroit makes you know tobacco, but that would kind of kind of break the internal consistency for a lot of people. Well, if you're making a fantasy world, you can make you know anything can make anything, right? And so they made this very uh, nice um, fantasy geography and kind of all they were very clever about how they presented it to the players so you had 
uh, areas that were a jungle, uh, everything that you, that you need to make sort of a memorable fantasy land. You you have a jungle, you have the desert, you have the uh, you know the frozen north, you have the pirate pirate isles, uh, you have the you know the old world where the wizards live. You know it, it all sounds corny, but it was well done because one thing that they did was they. Um, they could now just kind of distribute the resources wherever they wanted to make a balanced game with uh, interesting tweaks. Um, one of the things that Empire Builder, the, the historical Empire Builder game, did so well was that you'd have these random events. So, you know, there'd be a blizzard, uh, you know, and you no trains within, uh, you know, eight mile posts of Buffalo could move. Or uh, there would be fog in California or um, there'd be a hurricane in the Gulf Coast. Uh, or there'd be a strike, uh, you know, longshoreman strike, or, um, you know, there would be tornadoes or something in the Midwest, or, you know, some, things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, the fantasy version, you can, you can obviously uh, make a lot more um, interesting events and, and, uh, and kind of balance the game. So, you know, there's a uh, you know, evil overlord, uh, you know, stops movement in a certain province, or, you know, there's one that's an elf activists revolt. Um, <laughs> there, you know, and, and it sounds, it sounds goofy. Um, but the fact that you could differentiate things with, with sort of a fantasy theme, um, you also had this interesting mechanic where you had a foreman. So there were foremen that were running your rail line for you when they were, you know, they could be an elf, uh, which you could, um, build more cheaply in the forest. You could, uh, have a dwarf, which could build more cheaply in the mountains. You could have um, a human, which would build more cheaply across rivers. There was the uh, like the cat people who could build in the jungle. There was like a uh, orcs in the desert, things like that. And and you had this whole mechanic about how you would try to uh, snag the right form and it to to build where you needed to build or deny it to somebody else. Um, a kind of a kind of a really genius uh, a genius way of of doing things. The game, unfortunately. Because it was uh, when it came out in 2000, it was on this thing called MPGNet. Uh, I don't know if anybody really remembers that, but I do not. Yeah, so MPGNet was this pay-to-play kind of uh, model in the old days. Uh, obviously, went south because you know who's going to pay 35 bucks a year or whatever to, um, or I think it was even actually even more than that. I think you had to pay per times you played, or I can't remember. Um, but uh, you had to pay uh, to play this, you know, this obscure rail building game, and nobody's going to do that. The game is still available. Um, you can still download the demo. And then I looked on Board Game Geek because this the the problem is you can't play it multiplayer because it used to um, it was run through the company's servers, and of course those are defunct. But you can actually get online, download the demo, and then on Board Game Geek there's a thread where if you take a hex editor and actually uh, change four values in the uh, in the uh, in the executable, you can unlock the game and you can play it to your heart's content. Um, and I actually would recommend that people at least download the demo and then how, based on how they feel about hex editing, uh, take a look at that. Yeah, I'm going to, if you can find that thread, I'll make sure there's a link to it uh, on the blog uh, and hopefully after the podcast. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's one thing to do. Now, there's another thing which is called, uh, and this is kind of will wrap up my talk of the crayon games, but uh, Empire Builder. Uh, has this thing called Empire Builder Pronto, which is digital. It's um, a, a small download uh, that will run a, a, a very 
passable. Not the graphics aren't great, but uh, it's actually the the interface is very functional um, and and helps you out a lot. A, a, a version of Empire Builder. Um, it has uh, um, a lot of tools. You can uh, you know one of the things about the game is that uh, you need to know where the loads are and where the cities are. So if you just mouse over a card, it'll show you where the you know what cities produce what. It'll mouse over the city. It'll find you the city. It, it's actually well very well done. Um, the graphics are super bare bones. So if you if you have a philosophical aversion to playing games that uh, they haven't invested a lot of money in the graphics, then you can just pass on this. But the interesting thing about it is the Iron Dragon AI uh, was not very impressive, and I, I was able to beat it regularly. I just tried the Empire Builder Pronto um, game myself a couple times. You can download a free version. It's good for 30 days. That AI smoked me. <laughs> I mean, it killed me. Uh, and I've played Empire Builder a lot. Now, I haven't played it in years, and, and I kind of was – I wasn't um, – I, I guess my point is that for an Empire Builder veteran who thought that he was just playing a game of Empire Builder, I, I actually would have had to sit down and really think about every single move, I think, to, to beat the AI in this game. And uh, that's something you can't say for a lot of AIs. So uh, there should, <laughs> we'll, we'll put a link to, the, to, to that game as well. Um, it really, I think it gives you a flavor of what Empire Builder is like and, uh, and sort of the, the, the philosophy of the game, which is uh, you sort of you're maximizing your limited resources. You only have a certain amount of money, uh, and then you have to deliver loads to get more money. You have to spend that money very efficiently, and then you have to know the deck and know uh, where you're going to speculate and pick up uh, loads that, you might, that might pay off uh, sort of, of uh, you know, serendipitously. Now, but this game only had one, has one train, you say. Yes, yeah, so, you have so a, how does that fit in with the whole idea and the myth and the power of you know railroad building? It's a it's a, it's a train game and a railroad game, but mm-hmm. you're so how does that? But you, it could just be anything. It could well, be a courier. It could be well, yeah, it could be the postal service like uh, Thurnan Taxis, right? Thurnan so, Taxis, yeah. yes. So only, only there you're building post offices, right? That's right. You're building post offices, right, and delivering the mail, but. Uh, but I guess the um, – I mean, yeah, it could be anything. I think the idea that uh, you have um, different uh, loads and you have, you know, you have passengers, you have you know, st- different resources, steel machinery, cars, you know, lead, iron, copper, tobacco, fish, fruit, whatever. Um, I think that, that really does s- sort of sit more with a, with, a, with a rail theme. And then you have these you know, permanent lines on the, on the map. Right. They're uh, – you know, costs a lot to build through the, the, the mountains. Uh, I think that I think that the the rail theme does kind of make itself felt, even though it is very abstract. Now, I want to add one other thing. I was talking to, um, or talking, I was exchanging emails with uh, 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 Bob Carty of uh, Mayfair Games uh, while I was preparing for this podcast, and he says that they have a uh, a company that's actually working on a real uh, Empire Builder digital version. Um, and he says it should be out soon, but then in the, the same line, he said he in the computer business he wasn't sure what that meant. So, <laughs> you know, Bob, I don't know what that means either. <laughs> so if you don't know, I don't know. But uh, but I, I'll be interested to see that uh, what what they can come up with for a for a digital empire builder, um, because I think that that game, especially that the the problem with that game is that it's not a it's not a Euro game in the sense that. You know, if you're playing a four-player game of Empire Builder, you will sit around for a long time while other people figure out where the, you know, what loads they need. They figure out where they are, how much it's going to cost. You know, you're doing a lot of counting, like because it it'll, it makes a big difference whether it costs 16 million or 17 million, uh, you know, money units 
to uh, to build somewhere because that might be the difference between being able to get somewhere exactly and not being able to finish your track and being stuck and basically being out of the game. So it's a very precise type of strategy game. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I think that that's it's kind of it's his biggest drawback, and it's also the drawback of a lot of these games, as multiplayer games, uh, that they that they take a there's a lot of time that's involved uh, with each person's turn. Now it might be better as a play by email game or now as they call it a uh, asynchronous multiplayer. Yes. Um, unfortunately the problem there is that there's a lot of uh, you know if you pick up a load in San Francisco and want to take it to New York, there are going to be several turns where all you're doing is moving your train and doing nothing else. So um, I mean I guess you could put it on auto build uh, or sorry, auto move um but uh, you know there are a lot of problems that worked out there. But I'd be very interested to see what a what a digital empire builder was with with a good AI. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting game to play solo for a while um, until you kind of get sick of it. There's a lot more sandbox and uh, other kind of gratification to get out of railroad tycoon games. Okay, that's uh, something to look forward to, I guess. Um, so there's the board game uh, experience. We talked mm. a bit about railroad there's, tycoon. There's more to the board game experience. Oh, sure, I'm sure there is. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I, we'll get to that, but uh, yeah. But, so that takes us to what 1933. <laughs> um, so um, railroad tycoon was my form of experience with it, and you've talked a lot about. Got some about Railroad Tycoon too. Well, yeah, talk, um, talk more about that from your perspective. I mean, the, the different. I mean, Railroad Tycoon was just the kind of revelation when I played. I played it after it had been out for a long time. Mm-hmm. I found it mm-hmm. on, on Home of the Underdogs. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, that's where I found it. I spent a lot of time there in my uh, one time, uh, and I played a lot. Of, I have a proper copy now, and I tried to dig it out, and I could not get it to work. Of course, today. Um, and it stands out really as this amazing triumph, as it should, and we should probably do a if we can get Sid Meier on to talk about one game. I know Rob would like to get him on to talk about Gettysburg. I want him to talk about Railroad Tycoon mm-hmm. and probably Julian wants to talk about CPU Buck. Mm-hmm. I don't uh but it, it's because it, he and Bruce Shelley just made this game. It's really all about trains and the train business and everything fits together so beautifully. Mm-hmm. And then you get the Railroad Tycoon two, uh the Pop Top people. And they took stuff out. <laughs> Which made no sense. Like you, you couldn't build the, you couldn't build tunnels. I mean, how can you have a train game with all this beautiful geography and beautiful terrain, but you can't have tunnels? You have to go over the hill or around it. Um, and so sometimes you look at these games. It's this brilliant, beautiful legacy and this beautiful terrain, and there's something that's so obvious. What's more, I mean, light at the end of the tunnel. There's a there's a reason for that. It's the oncoming train. You got to have that mm-hmm. uh, in the game. And I find in many ways the the tycoon games that came after that, and leading up, I think, to Sid Meier's Railroads, pushed the. Um, model train aspect that, you know, watch the train go into the station and watch it pull out. Aren't the plumes of smoke all so nice? Push that at the extent of this large, at the expense of this larger system that, you know, really is what makes a great train game. I mean, you could say, yeah, it should just be about hauling the cargo and that's great and that's wonderful. But if you have this whole map of America or this huge map of India, you want to use it you want to have these tough decisions of do I blast a hole in that mountain? Mm-hmm. How much is it going to cost me to do that? Instead of, oh crap, I guess I'm just not going to go there because right. it's not worth the long trek around. Mm-hmm. Instead of finding a way to make that an efficient, the the interesting decision. The interesting decision: mm-hmm. do I make it an efficient efficient path by bor- borrowing through it mm-hmm. or not? Right. Uh, where the later games seemed to be the question was, well, 
do I ignore it or not mm-hmm. enough and there's too much trouble to lay the track mm-hmm. because laying track is often a great chore in these games mm-hmm. especially in the days before really precise mouse control um, so it could be a bit of a challenge to precise get that. mouse control? Yes, well, okay, not especially precise now. But you, know, you look at something like, um, it, it seems to be getting worse. Uh, for some, got worse as things moved on for some reason to late track. I think even the, the new Sim City doesn't even have, it doesn't even have an undo button for laying roads. Well, that sounds like a design problem rather than a mouse technology problem. Well, it is. Well, it's probably a design problem. But anyway, uh, but it was... Um, for a while, it seemed that there was this stagnation in the railroad game in the in the railroad tycoon series mm-hmm. uh, in two and three. Now you played two more than the first one. Yeah, I played I played uh, a lot more of two than I played. Well, that's, is that true? Yeah, I guess I played more too. I mean, I played the first one too. Um, I mean, but, it, was, it was it was a very beautiful game, yeah. and a lot of fun. But going back and seeing what was taken out, you wonder. Okay, I, I hate using the phrase dumbing down because it Im- mm-hmm. implies that, you know, complexity is necessarily always the right choice. It mm-hmm. isn't. Sometimes simplification and streamlining is the right choice. Mm-hmm. But that they were just taking stuff out to keep it cleaner and simpler, not understanding where it fit within the larger system without replacing it with much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, I think that the, the the problem there was that you had to pay – I think you had to pay attention to stuff in a different way in, in, in Railroad Tycoon 2 because it was graphical. Yeah. So I think that they – I think that Pop Top might have been afraid uh, to – and I'm just I'm just going to wildly speculate as to what people were actually thinking, uh, you know, um, 15 years ago uh, in their own minds, and I'll just pretend like I know exactly what that was. But um, I would think that if you're a designer uh, trying to make a really very graphical representation of trains and and still keeping the complexity of of demand and and rail capacity and rail lines and switching and things like that that you would be afraid that you couldn't represent all of that very well graphically and it would become uh, kind of a kind of a mess and that you would right. have to also then make more because I, as I recall uh, uh, railroad tycoon was was I mean you had to look at a whole bunch of numbers and uh, and I think that they were trying to not to do I mean you still did that uh, in railroad uh, tycoon too but they wanted to let you look at the terrain and admire it and and play with the trains. And uh, I think to do that, you had to sort of um, make it a little. You couldn't pack all that data in just to, to the visual um, presentation that they had. That would be. I mean, so uh, that's what I think that they they were thinking. That's as a matter of fact. That's that's what I know that they were thinking through my telepathy. That makes sense to me. Uh, there were just. I'm not going to go to. It was a good game. I liked it, but it it did, it did feel like it was a step back in many ways. Um, and I think. That uh, by taking us like rate wars, which mm-hmm. seemed like the small stupid thing, a rate war. Who mm-hmm. cares about a rate war? Mm-hmm. But was there actually a really neat uh, decision, a really neat power you could mm-hmm. use to, you know, let your to just lower your prices to drive somebody else out of business mm-hmm. and to sort of like roll the dice for control of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, and someone would win that war and someone would lose, mm-hmm. and it's this type of was part of the economic manipulation which mm-hmm. is which like you know the all the great stock market type games is about not just can I get my cargo there fast but mm-hmm. also do I understand the whole condition of my railroad do I understand what it can survive and what it can't mm-hmm. if I start losing money do I know where to make it up 
Um, do I need to upgrade soon? And that, I, I kind of miss, well, I miss good business sims in general. Mm-hmm. And there have, been, there have been very few of them since the tycoon game explosion. And most of those were crap. But there mm-hmm. were a few actually quite good tycoon games in that explosion uh, in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, the business sims in general seem to have fallen out of fashion. So maybe I'm just missing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm missing that in my gaming diet. A simple, accessible, you know, business simulation. I just have to go load up intended. entrepreneur again. Yes, entrepreneur or transport tycoon mm-hmm. or roller coaster tycoon. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I, I have prison architect, but that just makes me feel bad. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about that game. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel the wheels are turning underneath my feet. I pull the shade down on my window seat. Friend, where I'm going is better than where I've been. And a stranger sits down as if he's right at home. We're moving along in the in the in the um, in the in the train um, game sort of lineage. There was in in 2004, I think it was, uh, a game came out which um, really no it was no no it wasn't 2004. It was earlier than that. It has to be earlier than that. Um, Gosh, maybe it was 2002. Uh, I'll, I'll look that up. I should have written it down, but I don't remember. Uh, maybe 2001 even. Uh, there was a game called uh, Rails Across America by Flying Labs, uh, yes. published by Strategy First. And that game, I thought, uh, turned turned the whole uh, train game genre on its head to a certain extent. I want you to explain this to why you think that, because I know the time. I mean, I, I like the game a lot, and mm-hmm. I know we invited Tom Chick to be on the show with us, and he insisted we talk about this game uh, for good reason. Uh, so, what about it makes you think it was turned on its head? For me, it looks like there was an interesting innovations, but I didn't see it as a revelation. But maybe I'm not thinking about it right. So, I mean, I think that this is the one game in which you really played sort of as a. Uh, it was really a strategy game that you're playing from the top. Uh, and and even much more so than uh, I feel than the eighteen XX games, uh, you. But it, it preserved the the sort of demand. Well, there was there was freight, and there were there was there was a distinction between freight and passengers, and that was pretty much it. I mean, you didn't have fruit versus nuts. Um, but um, I, I think that what it did was it 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 preserved all this sort of fiddly, uh, you know, I have this many, you know, this kind of switching and these tracks and this kind of train and it goes this fast and this is how efficient it is, et cetera, et cetera. So it preserved all that, which the HNXX games don't have, by the way. I mean, they, 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 they do it in extremely, in a very streamlined fashion. Uh, and we can talk about that a little bit more, uh, cause I really do want to talk about more about 1830 as well. But, um, but you 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 sort of made these these macro decisions like you know what is the next you, you sort of built out from your um, you know from your main from your main city and then you sort of expanded out across the uh, from your home base and you expanded out across the map um, and you had to make sort of strategic decisions like you know buying short lines which would uh, you know allow you to sort of leapfrog to a, to another uh, to another part of the map. Um, and then it had this really, really cool card game, yes, uh, which was uh, sort of a, a macro strategy. You could uh, induce strikes in your opponent's uh, uh, rail lines. 
you could do a stock raid. Uh, there were just all you you had this hand of cards, and you could use the hand to execute. They were they were basically like uh, um, I don't know what you would call it. I guess different suits maybe. Um, the uh, the suits corresponded to different types of actions. There was like dirty tricks or those like public relations, I think, or something like that. And uh, you uh, you could use them offensively or you could keep them in your hand defensively. And there was always this sort of – there's this back and forth about, you know, oh, he's used all his dirty, dirty tricks cards. So now I'm going to you know pull a dirty trick on him and uh, – um, or he had a lot of cards in his hand. So he's now – he's wiped them out. So he probably doesn't have – uh, any more uh, cards of a certain type, so I'm going to attack him, and and they you would you would get the screen, and they would come up, and you'd have your cards on top, and the opponent's cards on the bottom. And they would kind of each one would kind of shoot down and 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 get blocked, and then if you had more cards than the other player in that particular um, uh, suit, then you would win and get to uh, and you and you could you know you could really wreak havoc on somebody where they were they were you know they were um, trying to desperately build this this really lucrative line and. You know, they just, they just needed to finish it because they were, uh, you know, they were bleeding money. But as soon as they got this thing going, it would it would it would reverse them, and all of a sudden you would put them in a strike. And it, you know, they're, they they can't build it, that line for you know six months or something like that is terribly uh, detrimental to them. Um, the uh, and and I really thought that that that's that was a that was sort of a real macro kind of um, of of perspective on train games that that you what was you you got that in. Some other games, but at the um, and not even to that extent, but at the at the cost of the micromanagement, which a lot of people really enjoy, and uh, and this this sort of gave you both, um, but with a real focus on uh, you know on on making big decisions, and then you I mean you could even hire managers for your uh, yes. I mean, you could always you could always tweak your um, your lines or whatever, but there were there were managers which cost money, um, but you could a hire, lot of money yeah. But, <laughs> You could hire them to sort of sort of do the do the micromanagement for you. So um, I really like that game. Uh, yeah, and uh, unfortunately, I don't think it did that well. No, it it, it didn't. I really liked it too. I was quite clever. I liked the whole. I mean, nowadays we would be talking about if it came out today, we'd be talking about how it incorporated board game mechanics. Right, right, uh, right. When you know, of course, we didn't talk about that sort of stuff uh, oh, way I back did. then. Oh, I oh, did. You t- of course, you did. Did did you review that? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, the interesting thing about Rails Across America, which uh, will bore uh, some of our uh, listeners, is that uh, um, that was the that was the the genesis of the Tom versus Bruce column. Uh, was that uh, Tom oh, Chick and right. I? Yeah, we we both that's right. uh, uh, had pitched. Uh, I, I think I think I reviewed the game, and then I wanted to do a strategy article. Uh, Terry Wynn was the was I just remember was the. Uh, editor of the strategy section for Computer Gaming World, and I, I sent Terry an email. I said, "Hey, uh, I really like this game. I want to do a, like a tips uh, piece on it." And Terry's like, "Well, you know what? Tom Chick beat you to it, uh, pitching it. But it was, you know, he just he just pitched me really recently. So, hey, if you guys want to collaborate, you know, and of course Tom and I were were, were friends already at that point. So, um, I sent Tom an email and said, "Hey, you know, we want to try to do this together." And, and one, I think, probably was him. He said, uh, "Hey, we could." Why don't we do it as like we're playing each other, and then we could give tips while we're playing, and, uh, and that was the very first. I still have that that issue somewhere. Uh, it was a it was a tiny little thing. Uh, you know, we sort of recounted the game and said, "This is what I'm doing for this reason." It was a very, uh, as opposed to the later Tom versus Bruce, which were really entertainment pieces. This was very much a tips piece. Like, you know, this is what you should do. This is how you play the game well. This is uh, the strategy that will help you. 
Um, but, uh, but that, yeah, that was, I mean, and so I sort of have a soft spot for it because of that, but I really, uh, uh, I really like that game a lot. I just pulled out, I, I still have a, you know, the, the original copy here. Um, I've got a disc lying around here somewhere. Yeah. And I, and I pulled it out today and was just, was playing with it. I didn't get a whole bunch of time to, 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 I just refreshed my memory a little bit, but yeah, it's what a, what a great little game. Uh, really sorry that, uh, Flying Labs didn't, uh didn't uh you know meet with more success and there was so i remember that uh that i just will throw that out there that jeff green uh in that uh issue uh there was that year in the computer gaming world uh awards he gave the the magazine staff gave rails across america the award best game we just didn't get and then a lot of people took that as some sort of repudiate because i think i gave it either four and a half stars or five stars and uh, out of five and uh i think a lot of some people, based on the on, on uh, feedback from that, felt that that was somehow a repudiation of the of the rating that we gave it, or that I gave it, uh, and uh, that kind of annoyed me because it may, if just because they don't particularly like the game doesn't mean that it's a repudiation of the rating. But whatever, the game didn't do well, and uh, that's probably because nobody knows what good things are anymore in America. I mean, it had it had this had this I mean the macro level, the high level planning, and it's really focused and underlined by the prestige element where you would yes be where right. getting accomplishments like controlling a region or right. building a transcontinental railroad yep. or earn you prestige which meant you could certain do a certain level of exposure go deep into bankruptcy mm-hmm. and get a loan just to get this achievement yep. and this prestige yep. and work your way out of it yeah. the money was often a secondary concern to achieving these prestige points mm-hmm. now money could also be used to accumulate prestige either through cards or through other accomplishments and you didn't to keep the trains running so you couldn't be bankrupt forever but you could you know go just drive yourself down just to get these high level accomplishments right because the idea was you're going to you're just going to be a not going to be a rich person right. you're going to be a famous person well that was the goal that was the the victory condition right it was prestige yeah. not money yeah it was all yeah. about prestige um yeah. which is well great, that, I that goes along with your idea of you know you had earlier you had mentioned achievements so right there yeah. i mean that's the yeah. that's the whole achievement thing in a nutshell right there yeah um so Rails Across America is a great game. But there's and once again, for people who are interested in this, uh, I think the demo is still available for download. I think you can't. I don't think that that one is unlockable, but um, uh, or that not at least not easily. But you can play that. You can play the demo. The problem, the the thing, the big problem with that one is that uh, there's no tutorial. There's no in-game tutorial. Uh, you have to sort of get read read up about the game. It doesn't. It's not obvious it, it's certainly no. not self-explanatory at all uh which is a shame but if you if the if you're into train games and haven't played this one uh and want to kind of futz around with it with the tutorial it's out there if, and you if, can there's, read if about there's a it. manual on my disc which there may be because of the jewel case i may just put it on people are interested i might throw it up on my dropbox yeah. there, there might it might be it might be uh so. it might be available also elsewhere so we could that's a that's a little project for us to uh, it's a little task because it, it really is a, an underappreciated little treasure uh, of the of the time. I agree. Um, uh, it, I've been I did some reading on it uh, to refresh my memory on some because I couldn't have a lot of to play it. And how how many reviewers just did not get it? Uh, uh, did you just found it boring? Uh, I don't know. Um, I. I don't have my uh, you know big black book of reviewers handy here, no, so I, no, I was one of the ones I've actually been able to find. I yeah. mean, the, I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't go back and read reviews. I mean, I, I know Tom loved it, I loved it, uh, Jeff Green hated it. Um, Jeff Green hated it. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he just didn't, he just didn't like it, or maybe Bob Coffey didn't like it. I think, or, or sorry, Robert Coffey. Um, I don't think. Uh, 
either of those two jokers uh, were into it. But uh, you know, that's fine, man. That's yeah, I'm, sure. that's that's uh, you know, um, I'm certainly very like much, me. very much uh, you know, a train weasel. So uh, although I don't wear a conductor's outfits, so that's a that's a different story. Um, I, I want. I really want to get back, though, uh, Troy, the, to the, the 1830 games. Yeah, the 1830 <laughs> games, because the 1830 games are such a, and and then and then also mention that the part of the board games that they sort of have spawned or or that that I think grew out of the 1830 um, uh, sort of mechanical paradigm, which were the Age of Steam, and then there's a Railroad Tycoon board game, which is really Age of Steam, which is, uh, I guess Steam is now Martin Wallace's re-revision of the revision. Uh, Martin Wallace, who uh, we had on the show um, back when we talked about um, uh, talked about uh, A Few Acres of Snow, uh, mm-hmm. And I, I'd love to. I think we'll we'll definitely have him on the show again. He has a new game coming out about Cthulhu and Sherlock Holmes, uh, which just had a successful Kickstarter called um, uh, Emerald. Gosh, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, there'll be a link to that as well uh, on the on the blog because um, Emerald Diaries. That sounds right. Yeah, something like that. Uh, it, it's a it's a great uh, idea that and, and anything by Martin Wallace, as far as I'm concerned, is probably going to be a good game. But um, uh, Martin Wallace uh, designed a series of games, starting with something called Age of Steam. And Age of Steam uh, has the same uh, idea that you're placing tiles. So the, the whole point of the 1830 games is that you develop terrain by placing tiles. And once a tile is placed, you can't uh, you can't alter the existing characteristics of it so if 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 there's a each tile has um you know a track that might go you know it might be a straight line of track that goes from north to south or east to west or whatever and then that orientation has to be preserved so uh if you want track that goes uh that kind of curves off to the northwest you can do that but you have to preserve the the north south orientation of the original track so right what you're doing is you're generating these routes that uh, that have um, uh, the, the, that connect cities, and those cities uh, may have a number. The, the, the each um, each uh, tile can have in a, in a city has a number of, of uh, stations, and those the the you you make these these routes that connect the stations, and the the your train the the, the main capability of your train is the number of stations it can connect. So okay. you you basically have the ability to to have trains, uh, and it's 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 very much a geometric kind of math game in that sense that the the eighteen thirty games are eighteen xx eighteen thirty because there I mean the whole bunch of I mean just like Empire Builder, uh, all you need to do is you need to make uh, if you know if you want to have a game about the railroad development in uh, in Germany, then you just figure out what year would be appropriate to name your game that thing and then get a map of Germany and then get a bunch of train time, right? I mean, it's the same, it's the yeah. same kind of thing. Um, but the interesting thing about those games is that there's the cooperative element of floating the company, uh, which means that you, uh, you um, have to invest an, a certain amount of money to float more than half of the outstanding shares. There's like a, there's like a, a two, um, 20% share certificate that is the CEO certificate and then everybody else there's there's like uh, eight 
10% share certificates and you, you buy them. And then uh, you, as you um, uh, get up to 50%, the person who holds the most gets the CEO certificate. And then the trading company is floated. And then you start running. The person who owns the most uh, stock in the company runs the company. And uh, he can run it for the benefit of the shareholders or not for the benefit of the shareholders. Um, and, uh, and and that's the kind of, that's the macro level of the game where you're, you're developing the tiles and, and sometimes you might develop them just to block somebody else and you might develop a, and you're, you're very much watching uh, if you, if you don't, if you don't pay out um, money in the, uh, in the company, then uh, the stock price bumps. You can pay out money in the company, but then you don't bump the stock price. So it's very much a, a game of looking at how much the company is valued, how much you, the shares that you hold are valued. Uh, on the stock market, and then trying to beat other people to, you know, if the, the company looks like it's vulnerable, you can sell your way out of it. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's very much a uh, um, a two a two a two two pronged game in that sense. So it's, it's one of these cooperative competitive games that I like so much, where you have to cooperate to some extent. To some extent, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't even consider it. I wouldn't go that far. It's not super cooperative. It's just. It's a very cutthroat game, and uh, and the and the the board game uh, of uh, of eighteen thirty that can actually take a quite a while. I mean, if people sit there and they're trying to figure out which tile to place, and God, you know those those eighteen thirty games. I mean, I've, I've been to a bunch of conventions. I haven't played eighteen thirty that much because that's a it's a it, it, when I any anyway maybe people have gotten faster about it, but it's a huge chunk of time. Plus, people were wearing train conductor outfits, so it was just. <laughs> I mean, I I I don't like to. Anyway, um, it's like playing, you know, playing a game, you know, with a Titan with somebody dressed like an elf. It's just like you just, like, I don't know about this. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. But so I, I guess I guess my point is that um, uh, the eighteen thirty games have, or eighteen XX games, have, very much have uh, a, a two pronged. So you have to be paying attention to two different things, and you're 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 sort of developing uh, the industry. And, uh, or developing the rails and um, uh, the stock market at the same time. Then what Martin Wallace did was he took those games and he basically forced you to stick to your own company. So you know you had yeah I think he t- kind of took the stock market out of it in the sense that you were always invested in your own company, but you still had to. Uh, you, you, there were very much a, a, a situation where you were you needed to raise money through the stock market. It was only for your own company. You couldn't um, you couldn't invest in other people's company, or you couldn't. You, you always had control of your own company, but uh, you were you were you were placing tiles. You were picking up loads. You were connecting uh, tracks in the same way, uh, and uh, you know upgrading trains. Um, it was it was a little bit more fiddly. You would uh, you would distribute a number of of loads on each tile. So you'd you'd, you'd build uh, you'd build track, and then you, there would be a city. Each city would get a certain number of loads, and then you kind of go and collect your little cubes. Uh, and those cubes would uh, would be uh, uh, worth money victory points um, for um, as you were as you got better trains. You kind of, so it's, it 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 uh, it took a little bit of the cutthroat stock market out of it, but did keep the same i have a hexagon with with railroads on it and i'm lining up next to each other there's a game which is very similar to this uh which is called it's on the ios uh system it's called wabash cannonball um and it's it's really sort of the 1830 uh system age of steam system on 
basically on the on the computer. And it's the the closest that you can get to that now that there is no more uh, 1830. Although 1830 can still be downloaded from uh, Home of the Underdogs, uh, it looks terrible now. I mean, it really looks uh, looks Has not bad. aged well. Well, it, it it looks. I mean, the the map is um, the map is very much consistent with the with the board game, which is that it doesn't, I mean, the, the board game doesn't look very attractive either. I mean, just putting different colored tiles of, of rail on, uh, on different hexagons. But, um, if you want to play 1830 and, and, and can find the manual, uh, that's another game that, I mean, that, and that game will beat the pants off you, frankly. Uh, if you want to play a good game, uh, against a very good AI, uh, thank you, Steve Barsha. Sorry, you couldn't be here. Um, we, uh, I, I really recommend that you that you check out the 1830 um, Simtex uh, version. Uh, Simtex, they so. did some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, they did. So, um, anything left to add? I guess the future yes. of the future of uh, these games is something I'm interested. In. Um, like I was saying, there just aren't uh, tycoon games made anymore. What about Ticket to Ride? What about Ticket to Ride? Yeah, what about Ticket to Ride? That's that's a game about that's a game you think is about trains but isn't. Well, that game's just about uh Travelers on a Bet. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Um <laughs> I mean, a, it is about trains, really. Well, I don't know. It, it it yeah, it's about riding the train. I don't I really I don't know what that. I I don't know what that thing is all about. I understand that it's somebody's on a yes, like you said they have a bet and they have to visit this number of cities and whatever. It's a train game in the sense that there are trains printed on the cards. Uh but the the the, the this the backstory makes no sense. It is yeah, really well, about yeah. as, as opposed to the many game backstories that do make sense like Mass Effect. Mass Effect's got a great backstory, okay. proper science fiction. As far as yeah. board game backstories yeah. go, right. even that's crap. Right. Okay. Uh so uh so the, but the, the interesting thing about, about Ticket to Ride is actually it's a really good game. It is. It is a really if good game. If you play it right. Um, yes. You know what I mean by that, right? With people you don't hate. Well, why, but why, why would that make a difference? Because there's a know. certain way of playing that game that is the right way to play that game, and there's a wrong way to play that game. What is the right way to play the game? Tell the me. right way to play that game is to block people. The wrong way to play the game is to simply collect cards and try to, try to connect you to the, you know, you have your city cards on the, um, oh, yeah, you, 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 you've always got to have, you've always got to block people, of course. Otherwise, well, but there's, there's a, I, I cannot tell you how many times I played that game. So, so Days of Wonder used to have, uh, I don't, I, I honestly haven't played, I used to play Ticket to Ride a lot, probably, uh, oh gosh, maybe six, seven years ago when it first came out online and, the, and uh, Days of Wonder had their own little, uh, online system like they have for, um, uh, for, uh, what do you call it? Memoir 44. Mm-hmm. So back in that time, and I don't know, maybe now it's different, but, uh, there were, the people wanted to play this way. They wanted to get their cards. They wanted to figure out which cities they wanted to connect. And then they wanted to collect their cards and see who could connect their cities first, which of course turns it into a game of Candyland or whatever, where you're just, whoever happens to draw the right cards wins the game. Well, the game actually can be played as a very much a strategy game and almost like a game of poker where you have to bluff people into taking cards that you don't need so that they think that you have a route that, uh, that you don't have. Because the way that the game works is that certain routes have 
colored cards. So for example, I can't remember what the colors are, but I think there's like a Los Angeles to, to Dallas or something like that that's all green. And so if you start taking green cards at the beginning of the game, it's pretty obvious where you're going. And then you can actually move to block people from taking, you know, you can take their cards or you can or you can do other things. Right. So a lot of that game is to draw cards so that you uh, that you are disguising what roots you actually have. And when I would see people playing, you know, they would just they would just take the car, the cards that corresponded to the color of the root that they had. So I would, you know, there were also you know um, roots that didn't require uh, colors uh, right. that just require you know uh, matching cards of any color. And uh, when I saw that they were going a certain place, I'd, I'd go to a, another part of that route because I knew what the cards were. I knew what the um, part of that game is knowing what all the uh, connections are. Yes. And I would just go and block them. I just put, you know, put something and they would, you know, then they would stop playing and they would say something like, that's not very nice. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? And would be like, you're blocking me. Said, yes. I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> yes, get, I don't understand exactly. your point. You know, that's not, you know, I, this is, you know, you should just be having fun. I'm like, I'm having a lot of fun because you're going to lose. Um, it, it's just, it's the, it's the kind of um, a different approach to, I mean, it, and, and I, 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 should, I say that and that's kind of snide. It's just, it, it, people were playing it as sort of a, a casual, you know, I'm trying to connect these things. You're trying to connect these things to the game where there's actually a lot of, a, a lot of thought and, um, a fair amount of 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 bluff and uh, and misdirection that goes into that game, and you can play it that way. That's a much more demanding way to play it. And in the end, I mean, it's a train game. I mean, I, I'm talking about it like it's some sort of genius accomplishment to you know play this game right. Uh, it's not. It's just a game. Uh, but 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 interestingly enough, that there's 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 this sort of dual perception of of what constitutes appropriate play. And there would be uh, people would when you would. They'd put their, um, you know, you could put a game request up. They would have things that said, you know, no blockers, please. Or somebody would write, you know, I may block. Uh, it was this huge dichotomy in, in approaches to the game, which that is uh, so I found bizarre. fascinating. Like, uh, well, it's kind of like the the old n- n- no rushing rules from Age of Empires 2 online. Uh, no ru- I'm not familiar with that. When people set up, they, they even StarCraft, they put up put up a multiplayer game and they'd have a little rule after it. You can't rush in the first five minutes. Oh, no rushing. I'm sorry, no, no roughing. roughing. I was like, no okay. roughing. No, like, no like rushing. Roughing so, no, no roughing. Like that. That'd be hard yeah. to play. Yeah. That, that, that's what the Detroit Red Wings played in the seventh game. Oh, God, please. Don't don't remind me. Yeah, like I, I, my Maple Leafs had such a painless experience. Yeah, I know. That's all terrible. The world is awful. It is. Yeah. Uh, so Ticket to Ride, it, it, it is a train game. It's about trains. Um, and it does, I think the fact that it is about trains is one reason it has been so successful is people understand that it's clear, it's simple. They know what a route is. They know they, the whole idea of tickets, just, they, they, it's just a card with a route, but call it a ticket has a little bit more majesty to it. Um, and the colors match, makes sense. I think the, the, the theme connects to the mechanics quite nicely, despite the ba- badness of the backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably explains why it's more that in the geography. Explain why it's better than, um, more popular than, than Thorn and Toxus. Do you like the European Ticket to Ride? The European uh, map? The European map is an interesting map. Um, that one has the uh, um, the wild cards. They're, they're, I think that they're the... Um, the tunnel, like the the yep. the tunnel cards. Uh, I don't think that the I don't think that that map is as uh, is as interesting in these as the U.S. map. Yeah, I agree. Um, but then there's the there's also the Swiss map, uh, and then there's also I just uh, I played recently the um, there's like an uh, like an Asian map. Okay. 
uh, where you can um, you can you can uh, it's it's like you know China and Russia and and Korea and India. I played that once, but I mean, there's the whole bunch. So you know, once again, we're we're on the we're on the the topic of of you know making new games with new maps. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not opposed to that. The Swiss map I, I used to think was great until I realized how broken it was. Um, but uh, but you know, I I like that because I think it's a you know you have a game with a with an interesting mechanic and you can change all the strategic considerations just by changing the and just by making a, a new map. Alan Moon is a, is a is a game design a wizard, by the way. Yes, yeah, he is. I think it's something about you know railroad games in general. How and we've talked about the terrain, the maps, but really, it, it, it they are so much about geography. They're about distance, mm-hmm. distance and time. Um, right. And making the trains run on time was yeah, that's, oh, what, that's what you want to do, right? Yeah. That's, that, that, so with this, of course, that, that's, that's, that's all you want to do. End you don't this want to, with want to stop there. Let's but, just end uh, this with fascism. So yeah, you don't uh, want to stop there. Yeah. Uh, that, but that's a goal to shoot for. But it, yeah. it's about distance and time and efficiency and uh, in you know even the ticket to ride game is how quickly can you get where you need to go and mm-hmm. exhaust all the opportunities yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I guess throw diversions up. Uh, so it's really a quite clever little game. I think the geography is really one of the great attractions of the railroad game, not mm-hmm. just the trains themselves or the magic of the Orient Express. It is mm. the mastery of geography and can and, and the the illusion of travel. Even if I'm just mm-hmm. an engineer in a conductor's cap hauling cows. Is the Last Express a train game, by the way? Last Express? No, no, it's a mystery game. Oh, it's an adventure okay. game. Oh, okay. that ha- just happens to take place on a train. I got gotcha. you. Okay, good. All right. That, that, that's another great game, but it's also not a strategy game. No, it's not. So we can't talk about it. Well, we can mention it. Okay. It has a train in it, and yeah, it's very, very good. Yeah. Okay. So what's the? There haven't been any great train games lately. No. That's your fault. It probably is. Mm-hmm. I, I'm lately I've been blaming myself for everything, so why not? Good. What about what would what would a paradox train game be like? What a paradox train game be like? Um, well, was it was developed by Paradox or published by Paradox. You, it's your choice. Uh, developed by Paradox, it would have every train ever made between 1750 and 1950, and mm-hmm. it would just. But the train look would all be DLC. That look the same <laughs> until the DLC. Uh, the published, it would be part of the magic of people, and the trains would cast spells at each other and explode. <laughs> okay. And it would be the best game. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's a, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can't top that. I mean, the spe- trains that cast spells. I mean, now we're back to Iron Dragon, although they didn't cast spells in that game. Which I, which I really need to try, obviously. Yeah, you have to. I'll, I, I, yeah, we'll, you, I'll get you, you that you link. We'll post link. it on the, on the on Flesh of Steel. People can check it out. It, it's the, 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 I think it's um, for people who are, uh, who are interested in this kind of thing, that's a really good one for them because the AI really doesn't – it's not really that good, so – um, you won't feel too frustrated. I mean, you'll lose a few games and then you'll win and then you'll be done. But I mean, it has a nice map, um, very fantasy worldish. Uh, the theme is good. I mean, you just try it. And plus, the the, the interface is really um, is really pretty pretty well done. Also, you kind of you can um, uh, you know you click on the the. It tells you where where all the oh the the, the best thing about that is that they uh, they apparently uh, went back and researched a world and they found one that uh, that had uh, the, all the cities were named with the same letter in the same region. So in the Bright Kingdom, all the cities are named with B, and uh, you know in in the Orc wastes, all the cities uh, names start with O, which 
is an interesting way to uh, make it easy for the uh, for the players to find the cities because you're you know you can't it's not like you know where Cincinnati I mean you know where Cincinnati is but you don't know where you know uh, you know you know Kondalakshapa is well it's in the land of K right so you can just look to the land of K and it's probably going to be up there so uh, there are a lot of things about that game that make it easier to get into than uh, some of the other games because uh, you know frankly unless you know your uh, Swiss and French and German geography. Uh, if you're an American, playing Ticket to Ride on the Swiss map is a little, you know, can be a little confusing at first. Uh, but here you just kind of, oh. Uh, all, and also, you know, if you have a flood in the land of K, all the rivers start with K as well. So if you pull out a card that says that there's a flood in the K rivers, then you know exactly where they are. Uh, there are volcanoes. There's a thing where the dragons go crazy. I mean, it's good. You guys, people should download it. So if, 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 if the Ill Winter guys... Mm-hmm. Made a made a fantasy train game. What would it be like? Uh, if the Winter guys made a fantasy train game, then th- it wouldn't be clear what any of the trains did, but they would have a lot of backstory about it, and you'd kind of have to figure it out, and then you'd figure out which one was really unbalanced, and then you would just take that one. Sounds good to me. I want, yeah. I want to play that game. Yeah. Uh-huh. Would, you, would you write the manual? Uh, yes, I would. I absolutely would. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I think we've wrapped up our talk of trains and steam engines and Casey Jones stuff uh, for this week. Uh, next week, we will be talking about, I believe the topic is war game air land battle. Yeah. We talked about uh, yeah. European escalation uh, mm-hmm. last year and liked mm-hmm. it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So next week, the panelists will be back talking about that. I will not because it is an Evolve represented game. Is it? It is. Oh, cool. Not not me, but my friend Shannon has been working with Focus Excellent. on that. So, yeah, we are getting some really awesome strategy clients, making some awesome stuff. I'm saying this not to prejudice the panel at all, but right. it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be next week's show, and uh, Rob will be leading that, and I'm okay. sure he'll have a nice, interesting panel. Cool. So talk to nice having you again, Bruce. Great yeah. to be back on the show. Thanks, Troy. That was fun. So, uh a thank you again to Michael Hermes yes. for assembling this and yes. for giving us any appropriate music he chooses. And uh, <laughs> to our friends uh, at Idle Thumbs for hosting and uh, giving us a place to talk. Please post in the forums. I got a question on my Ask FM page. Why don't you guys have a forum? We have a forum. Um, and it is linked in every at uh, the front page of every Idle Thumbs podcast page. So go there, click on the forum, join the discussion. Uh, we have a really good group going there now. Uh, people regularly commenting and regularly hating us, and that's okay. It's okay to disagree with us. So we're not always right. Well, Tom's I always am. right. Tom and Bruce are always Tom right. Tom is never right, and I'm always right. Just keep uh, okay. that in mind. That's, I get you, to, you two mixed up yeah, all the time. A lot of people do that, yeah. <laughs> so good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Cure the hobo music. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning, down the track came a hobo hiking, and he said, boys, I'm not turning. I'm headed for a land that's far away beside the crystal fountain. So come with me, we'll go and see the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, there's a land that's fair and bright, where the handouts grow on bushes, and you sleep out every night. Where the boxcars all are empty, and the sun shines every day. On the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees, the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the big rock candy mountains. 
In the big rock candy mountains, all the cops have wooden legs, and the bulldogs all have rubber teeth, and the hens lay soft-boiled eggs. The farmer's trees are full of fruit, and the barns are full of hay. Oh, I'm bound to go where there ain't no snow, where the rain don't fall, the wind don't blow, in the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, you never change your socks. And the little streams of alcohol come a-trickling down the rocks. The brakemen have to tip their hats, and the railroad bulls are blind. There's a lake of stew and a whiskey, too. You can paddle all around them in a big canoe in the big rock candy mountains. In the big rock candy mountains, the jails are made of tin. And you can walk right out again as soon as you are in. There ain't no short-handled shovels, no axes, saws, or picks. I'm a-goin' to stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the Turk that invented work in the Big Rock Candy Mountain. I'll see you all this coming fall in the Big Rock Candy Mountains.